This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan. Today, we're sitting down with Trent Johnston from Trojan Shorthorns. Trent runs a livestock trading enterprise along with his shorthorn bull breeding business at Forbes and Lyndhurst. To facilitate his trading business, Trent has become a bit of an expert at doing the numbers on leasing country and adjusting livestock as well. In this episode, you'll hear Trent share some of his key principles for trading livestock as well as some of his most memorable wins and losses in the trading game. You'll also learn how he manages livestock on as many as 13 different properties across the state in an effort to mitigate against the drought. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Advisor, Rowan Leach, met up with Trent on the top of Memorial Hill in Parks after Trent ran into a spot of trouble in the morning with a B-double loaded full of stock. Today, I'm here on top of Memorial Hill in Parks with Trent Johnston. So welcome to the Seeds for Success podcast, Trent. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me and giving me the opportunity. Bit of a mad dash this morning. Do you mind telling the listeners, mate, why we've had to meet here? We were meant to meet in Dubbo and I managed to get a B-double bog this morning. So that was a slight hold up and I had some cows that I wanted to get rid of and I wasn't going to let them back out of the yards once I had them in there. So I said, we might just have to make it a different spot. So here we are on top of the hill, which is quite good, actually. Yeah, it's not a bad view, is it? No, it's perfect. Mate, tell me about your farming operation. So the farming operation that we run based home is at Lyndhurst between Blaney and Cowra. We've got other country south of Forbes. At Lyndhurst, we've got sort of 2,000 acres there. At Lyndhurst, it's all sort of pasture-improved country, fertilised country, heavily fertilised every year sort of thing. And then our Lyndhurst country is, our Forbes country, sorry, is 24K south of Forbes there. We've got another 2,000 acres there. And then I've got some other lease country around here, there and everywhere and keeps me in the car a bit, but it's all good. So what enterprises do you run? We've got a stud cattle operation, stud shorthorns, joined about 250 stud cows now every year and then producing bulls that go all around the east coast of Australia pretty much and down into South Australia and so we've got to spread them where our bulls go every year and then also at Lyndhurst is our lamb feeding operation that we put about 10,000 lambs through there every year on a good year. Last year was back a little bit but yeah, predominantly about 10,000 lambs every year go through there. And then our Forbes country, it's grazing, trading, opportunistic sort of stuff there that we do. Seems to work pretty well with a bit of forage crops. We don't crop necessarily. I leave that to the other fellas. And I just know how to fatten cattle and sheep and I just do it that way. So I found that that works probably pretty well for us. The first interaction I had with you as an agronomist, your priority was definitely on the livestock side of things, wasn't it? Definitely that. And I like growing forage crops and we try a few different things and we've got a Fortunate enough, we put a brassica crop in out there at Forbes a couple of weeks ago now, and it's up and out of the ground and certainly firing, but we've had pretty good conditions for that too. So looking forward to getting some lambs on that and really making it hum. What a season we're having at the moment. What's your primary enterprise, would you say, or your majority of your focus? Probably a 50-50 split, to be perfectly honest. Like It just depends on the time of the year too. So we're just about to ramp into this lamb job now. I've got a heap of lambs that are out on adjustment at the moment, but they're all coming back and they'll go on feed. That lamb job goes from you know end of November through till May, I suppose you'd say. Just when it starts to get a bit too wet in the feedlot, we sort of boot them out 
and I go looking for some adjustment, some cropping country, which I've over the last few years I've been quite fortunate to be able to find some cropping country to be able to throw some lambs out onto and, and slow some crops up for some fellas. And yeah, it also gets them out of the feedlot for me when it starts to get a little bit too wet and they don't sort of do the weight gains early once it starts to get a bit like that. So they sort of sulk a bit. So that's sort of time of the year. And then there's a bit of an over, like a bit of a crossover there. Obviously at the moment, we've just been doing a big fixed time AI program with our stud cattle. So that takes up a bit of time, So which was all pretty good. There's a crossover period there. And then we sort of get into March next year and we start our bull selling season. And that sort of carries on from March through to September with all the different sales we go to. So I guess to answer your question, it's probably a 50-50 split and try and make it work the best we can and grab what opportunities come past if we can get something and yeah, go from there. So how has your seed stock enterprise, it sounds like that complements the trading enterprise and vice versa? Yeah, definitely. It gives us cash flow and that's the hardest thing on farms like is cash flow. And with the seed stock thing, we sell bulls March and then June and then another lot in July. And then we take a load of bulls up to Montau in Queensland. We've been taking them up there every September. It just helps. And sure, we do the miles like the sale in March. That's down at Narracourt in South Australia. So we take a load of bulls down there. But it does help with the cash flow, the seed stock side of things. And it is something I'm passionate about, I suppose, is the seed stock. I had the opportunity to judge all around Australia, really, judge cattle at royal shows and stuff, So, which I do enjoy. So the seed stock thing is a major part and it helps. And it's something if you enjoy it, it's not that hard to work really, I guess. Mate, just as a little aside, earlier in the month when we were trying to book this interview in, you mentioned another podcast that gave you a good idea with a trainee. Would you mind telling that story? Yeah, I was just driving along to one of the places where we had some stock and I was listening to a podcast, which I do sometimes just to pass the time because the radio gets a bit boring. They were interviewing someone, I think it was in Western Australia actually, and they were saying about how they've their staff and stuff like that and sort of at the moment, well, back then we only sort of had, it was dad and I running the farms and we had a bit of casual labour and I've got a bloke at our Forbes place that sort of looks after it as well, but sort of was starting to get a bit too much and dad's getting a bit older and stuff too. So I thought, I started listening to this podcast and they said, you know, they put on a trainee and the government subsidies and all that sort of stuff. And it got me thinking and then I finished listening to that and we made a few inquiries as to about a trainee. And anyway, so now we've got a trainee working for us now which he's only sort of been there three weeks now, full-time with us. Fresh out of school, year 10 kid. Yeah, got plenty of gear in him, so and he wanted to stay in the agriculture thing, and I didn't want to lose him, like to somewhere else. And I thought, well, if we can look after him and keep him in the agriculture side of things, and with some government subsidies and help that they give, it was a no-brainer, really. You were saying it's a pretty cheap labour unit. Yeah, very cheap labour unit by the time the government puts their hand in their pocket and gives us a bit, and then it's certainly the hourly rate, the labour unit per hour, it's quite good. And you get to train someone... And in the years to come, like it's a two-year traineeship he'll do with us. And then after that, hopefully we'll have him full-time, you know, and some you get to train him how you want it. Yeah, which is good. And as long as they're willing to have a go, which he is, so it's a good thing, I think. Yeah, you said it was a bit of a, your style's a sink or swim. You chucked him in the yards for a few days in a row and it was tested his metal from there. Well, this is the best way to test him. So we're doing a bit of contract landmarking and we threw him in the catching pen and I think we started at, at sort of seven in the morning, up by seven sort of thing. And then we finished at one, but he caught 750 lambs all by himself as a 16 year old kid. I thought this kid's got a bit of go in him. So we'll see how he goes and give him a few hard ones and he's going all right so far. So we'll see. But yeah, sink or swim sometimes. That's probably the best way to put it, I reckon. <laughs> Just to delve a little deeper in the trading side of your business, where's the value in the livestock market this week? That's a good one. Um, it changes, as we all know. It changes day to day, nearly minute to minute at the moment. But I've been buying a few lambs out of the West. My agents, they've been buying it for me. And 
been shipping them over and there seems to be value in that and we'll be able to value add to them and got some of them lambs locked into on a forward contract for January, February. So that takes some of the risk work out of it as long as they put on the weight they're doing the numbers on. But as long as they're well-bred too, so that takes some of the risk work out of it. Look, and I still think there's still value in sort of females. There's definitely value in females with this herd rebuilding thing, whether it be with cattle. Cattle and sheep, yeah, might get back in the market to buy a few more cows here shortly or some heifers just to join. I've got a bull sitting around at our fall block doing nothing at the moment, so throwing something in with them. It's getting a little bit late in the season, but we might just be able to do something there and, and go from there. But, yeah, I've got a lot of trade cattle up there, and they're all females now. I've, I did have steers, and then I sort of got out of them and, and into females, so joining all them up, I think, just at the moment, that's where the opportunities are. But everyone's different too, I guess. Like, depends on your situation and, and what your farming practices are, I suppose. So have you got any principles or like fundamental things that help you reveal these good buyers? Calculator. <laughs> That's about a calculator. And you got to surround yourself with some good people too, I believe. Like if you can get a good agent that's willing to work, which I'm fortunate enough to have, or works in conjunction with us, and people are willing to actually have a go and yeah, throw caution to the wind a little bit, I suppose. And also you got to obviously do your numbers and make sure that when you're buying in, be double loads of lambs at a time that got an out there somewhere and also monitor their progress that's a big thing too don't be afraid to sit down with a pen and paper and do the numbers first and if you think it's going to stack up that's it so it's you really got to work on it yeah for sure yeah you got to do the numbers even with steers now well not so much for me now but through the winter i had steers up at gunnadar on crop you know when they're putting on even if they're only doing a kilo a day which some of the poorer performing ones are only doing a kilo a day on crop but if they're still doing a kilo a day at five bucks a kilo or when I sold them, they were $5.90, you know, a kilo. You're still making good money. Like, it's pretty good. If you say it's $6 a kilo at seven days a week, six sevens are 42, you're making 42 bucks a week. Like, that's pretty good chaff, I reckon. But you just got to do your numbers and prepare to get burnt sometimes. Like, I've been burnt. Don't worry about that. <laughs> they stick in the memory bank, the ones where you get burnt, and you just got to move on from them. But you can't dwell on them because it'll bring you, <laughs> make you crazy in the head or something. So that's probably a good segue. What's probably one of your better wins? I can give you a couple of my losses. I had some lambs I got from up north. It was only 220 of them, I reckon, for memory, something like that, that came down. Really good lambs too, they were. And it was a pretty hot day and I had them in a pen and I sort of felt a bit sorry. We just had them shorn and I started to feel a bit sorry for them. And I thought, I'll just let them out of the pen and, and let them up a laneway, you know, and get a bit more shade. And like, they've got shade in their pens already, but I just thought they can get a bit more and get under some trees and there was a bit of water there. They can sort of lay around and just ease them into it. I wish I didn't now because I lost 62 that day. I remember out of that mob. So, and I'm pretty sure it was 220. So I lost 62 of them to nitrate poisoning. I ended up getting the LLS fed out and we cut them up and they got into a heap of mint weed. We got a bit of mint weed grows. It was a bit of a bare sort of a laneway and a heap of green mint weed comes through and oh, it smells lovely, but yeah, the smell <laughs> of the dead sheep overtook that after a while. Uh, That's some of the losses. But look, there's been, where well, there's losses, there's wins too, don't worry. And, you know, I bought... Uh, one that sticks in mind, I remember buying some lambs. They were composites. Anyway, I went through and drafted the mixed sexes. I went through and drafted the ewes out, give them sort of four weeks on feed and spun them around. They look pretty good, eh? Like they come back looking pretty neat and uh, put them on the box. And yeah, that was a nice little windfall in them, like sort of 80 bucks or something in four weeks, which doesn't happen all that often. They, they made up for the losses beforehand. And you've got to think outside the square a little bit too sometimes, like doing stuff like that, you know, like if you buy mixed sexes and you can wheel some out and, and do something a bit different. It's not a bad thing. You mentioned before livestock prices have been pretty eye-watering since the drought broke in 2020. 
pull out your crystal ball and what a price is going to do, mate, in the next six months? I believe the cattle job in the next six months, Queensland going to drive a day. They'll come in swinging a pretty big bat, I reckon, like now they're getting a bit of rain. Queensland will drive that cattle job. Like just, I sort of got a little bit of an insight when I take bulls up there, you know, and there's no cattle around up there. And them fellas, like a lot of that's real proper cattle country and they'll, they'll come in swinging a big bat for females and that herd rebuilding sort of thing. That's probably one of the major things that's probably going to happen there, looking into a crystal ball. I think livestock in general for the next few years are going to be quite good, just with the whole herd rebuilding. Numbers are down, plenty of confidence, plenty of feed, and it'll still keep pretty solid. And good quality animals always sell too. Like if you can chase that quality or breed that better quality or spend that little bit extra more on your bull that you buy and stuff like that, that definitely changes things too. I bought up some bulls over the years and kept a bit of a track of what they actually do for you and stuff. I remember the very first time we'd done it, we paid $10,000 for a bull back then. Which was big money back then. That was massive money back then. I still remember the day we bought him. So I kept a bit of a track of it just to see what it actually done. And yeah, that bull made a hell of a difference within our herd. Like, So we sold $240,000 worth of progeny out of that bull, like out of a $10,000 purchase. And ever since then, I've sort of believed that they're always... Like they're a pretty cheap article to buy if you keep track of them and follow it through, you know. We don't mind sort of spending a bit of money if they're the right article, you know. So that return on investment there is not a bad one. That was a good return on investment, that one. But it's like anything. You get some that aren't that good either sometimes. But I think, yeah, quality, crystal ball, quality is always going to pay. Females are where it's going to be at for the next little bit. It sounds like a lot of money going to spending 3500 on a cow and calf unit at the moment or something like that. But you break it down to she's a 600 kilo cow or around that sort of weight, it's not all that much money when you break it down. There's a weaner there and you can put it back in calf again, you know. So things like that, that's where I'm sort of going to be looking at, I suppose, in the next six months or whatever. Mate, have you got any trading tips for producers that are looking to step into trading? Quality. If you can just buy quality, I've just loaded to B double of not such good quality and that sort of reiterated that today. They were cheap at the time but they are cheap for a reason. Well, I can give you a prime example. So I bought some females at the exact same time, some good well-bred heifers, carved them down. So we bought these cattle in February this year. Yeah, so there were some cattle out of the north that we bought that were cheap. And then I went to Victoria and bought some females out of their well-bred females, carved them down in March and sold them in April. Had them for sort of 60 days and I made uh, $1,300 a unit, clear profit on them and I've had these other northern cattle from February till what is it now start of December and obviously they're not sold yet but they'll be sold tomorrow but in that same sort of period I'm probably only going to make thousand dollars and that's with weaning a calf off and putting them back in calf you know which is still nothing to be sneezed at thousand dollars is still thousand dollars but time period and the amount of feed they consume and stuff like that yeah I'll sort of changed my approach a little bit there and it's been the same too with feeding lambs i've had some disaster stories probably just animals that are not quite bred well enough or people sort of maybe use their own rams and things like that a bit of a list of some that i don't sort of worry about touching anymore and others i've that i'll jump at them at a heartbeat you know like i've had some very good composite lambs that have gone pretty well i remember weighing them last year and i thought there's something wrong with the scales like some of them were sort of doing 500 grams a day at their peak. Eh? Like they were just humming. But it all comes back to quality, I believe. When I first purchased my first starter mob, they were pretty wild and pretty woolly. And that's definitely the first tip that my agent and others have told me is to get into more quality. 
as long as they're still twisted and you can do it. But if things turn sour and you've got to try and sort of offload them, sometimes that twist isn't there. You've really mentioned a lot about leasing and adjustment and you've got stock over a few different places. My dad, who's quite good mates with you, loves telling me how you've got cattle spread from condo to sheep up at Monto or Lindhurst and in Lithgow. How do you manage having stock spread over so much of the state? Yeah, you spend a fair bit of time in a vehicle, which is all good too. But I just like spreading the geographical risk. Eh? I'm a big believer on that. Like I started it a little while ago, like a few years ago. Oh, in the drought, actually, I started spreading a few around. And that geographical risk or where some place will get a rain and the other one misses out, there's a big difference there. But yeah, no, I, you do a lot of time in a motor vehicle. I bought a new car this year back in March or something. And now it's got 50 or 1,000 Ks on it in sort of six months or whatever. But yeah, look, it's easy enough to manage if you partner yourself up with some other good farmers that are happy to run an eye over them and, and get on the phone and give you a call if there's something wrong. And that, you know, at the moment I've got the Gunnedah block, so there's 1,300 acres at Gunnedah. And then I've uh, got some sheep out at parks. They're out there on adjustment. And then I've obviously got their own sort of one at Forbes. And then I had some cattle down at Wagga, but they just sold them. And then, yeah, got some other country at Lithgow as well as along with our Lyndhurst country. So, yeah, I've got a bit of a spread on them at the moment. But there was one stage there last year. I remember my wife saying to me, you're mad. We had stock on 13 different places or something. But if you can make the numbers stack up and grass is cheap and transport's cheap, like, if you're doing a few numbers, it, it's all, it all works out in the wash. So you've got to be prepared to get a slap across the wrist every now and then or something like that. But no, I think it works and it works quite well. And actually, I've got, there's some at Dubbo too. I've got some lambs at Dubbo. But everything will sort of be making its way back shortly and getting locked up and fed and whatever else. But I do like having them in different areas and keeps you thinking too. I can keep the brain ticking and that's good. And, and you learn a lot. Like I've learned a lot by doing that, like just different areas and how they work and what's the better times of the year. And remember, I sent some lambs out to Condo, not this winter, one just before, and like they were flying, eh? like I had 1,500 lambs out there on adjustment, just the slow blokes crop up and oh, they absolutely flew, and, and, you know, and that sort of bit warmer country too. And if you can move it around to suit the climate a little bit, it's a good thing, I think, as long as you're happy to get out and about and chase it a bit, I suppose. Probably... The drought and spreading the risk is really what's driven you. Yeah, for sure. For sure, without a doubt. I remember I sent uh, cattle down to Lithgow for the winter. I mean, I I was born down there and, and sort of left there a fair while ago now, but I remember the winters being cold down there and I thought I'm mad probably sending cattle down there, but they're running around down there in the hills and they can actually sort of get up in the hills and they sort of get half protected. And, and now that's an ongoing thing. So every sort of March I'll wean my calves and boot the cows down there and they spend the winter down there and sort of bring them back in August, you know, and they come back fat as fools. Like, and you just, I can't fathom it, but they get up them gullies and they get out of the weather and it's not too bad. So it's been different ways to learn things. I learned a bit like that sort of stuff when I went over to Canada a couple of years ago and we went to a university that were doing some studies there and they were trying to wind down the cows, like how much they could feed them during winter. And I remember like, so they had some 500 kilo cows and they, they were in snow up to their bellies and they wound them down to like 10 kilos a day and they held their condition. And it was things like that sort of impressed me and I learned a bit and thought, well, you can make them tough it out if you have to over the winter, like especially dry cows. So it's about that livestock class and suiting livestock class to feed source? For sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Yep. Now, if you want them wieners, I tend to get them on a crop and, and not afraid to feed the crop too. Like fertilizer prices are quite dear at the moment, but in all seriousness, they're still reasonable when you're, you know, getting six dollars a kilo for 
steers and nine dollars dressed for lambs or something like that you know it's still quite urea at whatever price it is now like i know before this next lot of rain sort of comes or something the next forecast decent rain at forbes i'll hit this brassica with a heap of urea and not be afraid to have a crack at it you know yeah we're at a lucky time with high costs of inputs but it's also high commodity prices all around isn't it yeah exactly right yeah this is a very good time to be in the agricultural game i suppose but i guess we're making up for some times a few years ago where it was all just going out the door and, and not coming back in so it's a nice business to be in for this at the moment what are some of the advantages or and disadvantages of leasing over owning the country or leasing a distant leasing is good you're locked in there for a certain period of time when everything's going in your favor that's fine it gets a bit dry it might not be as enjoyable but i guess with leasing we're still sort of building up some of our foothold i suppose with country and probably want to go again shortly you know in the next couple of years i might be able to do something again and expand again but with leasing i guess it's just a cheaper alternative at the moment if you're paying whatever the figure may be on some lease country compared to an interest rate if you can correlate those two and sort of build a bit of equity along the way i think it's definitely the cheaper way to go leasing at the moment and look there's a lot of farmers i've found that don't want to sell their farm necessarily they're happy just to sit there i had one at bogabra last year happy just to sit there and, and potter around and treat my animals like they are his own and i give him a purpose but you know they don't want to let it go but they're happy to let someone else come in there and utilize it and do the job on it but there's plenty of older fellas that are looking to do that and don't want to actually leave but there's opportunities there to maybe lease a bit of country off them adjusting is good it's good until you have to get off i suppose it's been very fruitful for us over the time but it's still, as long as you're getting putting kilos on adjusting's the go as well. So they both got their advantages. Disadvantages are sometimes you get boxed into a corner and you've got to get them off and you think, where the hell am I going to go now? So you start getting on the phone and ringing up and see where you can find another little pocket or you ring up and order another semi-load of pellets or whatever for the feedlot and you just yeah, tighten them up in there a bit and, and go from there. Yeah, I think I remember a pretty frantic phone call from you six months ago or so and you yep, yeah mate, just uh got this uh, <laughs> a fair bit of urgency on this one so <laughs> i appreciate if you give me a call back <laughs> yes yeah there's been a few of them sort of phone calls that you know it's not what you know it's a lot of the time i don't think there's ever been a true word said as far as that goes if you can branch out and and call on some other people that might just know of someone it's a good thing and agriculture it's a pretty tight-knit community that you're always willing to help out another fella. And I remember that frantic call. Uh, they were on their way and we didn't really have anywhere to put them. But anyway, we found a spot and that's been good. We made a really good friend out of that too. You know, we didn't know this bloke from a bar of soap and then we've become quite good mates and he's a good fella. Yes, what you can do out of a situation sometimes is quite good. And with freighting and logistics and that sort of stuff, have you got any tips there? It's always nice to get backload, like if you can get them on a backload going somewhere, but that doesn't happen very often. I guess there's no real tips. You just get someone that's reliable. I use a couple of bigger sort of freight companies that are very reliable, and, and then I've also got a, a neighbour that I use quite often, and it works pretty good. And everyone can sort of make something happen where you need to. We've got our own truck as well, and you can sort of juggle a few things around where you need to, I suppose. To answer your question, I don't really have any tips. You've just got to get on the phone and ring them up. And it's all on a kilometre rate and it's I think it's fair and reasonable, you know. And I take my hat off to the, some of them drivers that sit there and I had one today that he's done a fair few miles already today, you know, and, but they love it, which is good. We're just about to wrap up. You've gotten through my questions very concisely and neatly, mate. But what I like to ask a lot of the guys that I interview is what do you see as the big issues in Australian agriculture at the moment? 
some of the main issues I see at the moment is, well, I can speak from experience there on one of them. I had some sheep booked in at a, to go to an abattoir's down south in Victoria and then the day before sort of they went to go, the abattoir got shut due to COVID or whatever else. They just sort of shut it and I had sheep in the yard and things like that. So, I mean, things like that going forward are probably obviously going to be a bit of an issue. But, I mean, as far as agriculture in general, I think we're in a very good position like as far as exporting all around the world and stuff like that and it's pretty highly sought after the Australian sort of quality that we produce here. You know, off the top of my head, I, I can't really think of anything that's really a concern to me. The next drought's not that far around the corner, obviously, but we've all learned from the last one. I know I've learned a lot of different ways to manage it and feeding stock and doing things a lot different that way. It always, it's etched in the back of your mind that you've got to remember what to do from the last one. And there were some testing times there, don't worry. And I mean, we're in a pretty safe area too, where we are usually, but still test you. And I, was, I remember calling mates out west and, and seeing what they're doing and getting a few of their ideas and, and it was it was very good and it got you through it. But I guess that's probably one concern of the next drought. It's not that far away. We can't have good seasons like we've had two years in a row and I've never seen a candle burn at both ends yet. So I think that's probably one of the things going forward we're going to have to deal with again, surely. Yeah, so that's probably one of the big learnings that a lot of people got out of this last drought is they've picked up a lot on drought feeding and confinement feeding and that sort of thing. So what particularly have you learnt there? I learned that cows, you can feed them pretty ruthless. And having clients up in Queensland, I went and visited some clients there in September and it's pretty ordinary up there at the moment, or it was for them. Some of them guys are up feeding 30% urea, like, except you just don't let them go without, like make sure you keep it up to them. But, you know, I was doing a lot of straw and urea for dry cows in the drought. Don't be afraid to wean them early. They're tough little buggers, like they can handle it as long as you keep the protein up to them and stuff. Cows are pretty ruthless. Like, yeah, I remember thinking, I'm going to kill these things, but yeah, no, they just kept going and, and they done quite well on it, but... I think when you feed a lot of urea, you've got some fertility issues sometimes, but as long as you can sort of manage that along the way, it's good. And a lot of minerals too, like I'm a big believer in minerals, a lot of dry lick and stuff. I do that on induction into the feeding lambs too. They get a mineral dry lick and also uh, some liquid minerals in their troughs and minerals are a play a big part in nutrition, I reckon. More in that high rainfall zone of at Lindhurst there or just everywhere? I think everywhere, like, and the animals, they're pretty smart. They work out what they need and what they don't need. But I remember in the drought, like at Forbes here at, in 19, I was feeding just some straw and some high sort of urea content and some dry lick and stuff like that. And they were mowing through the dry lick, but then they were also eating leaves off trees and just keeping them going. I've done a lot of calculations as to what we were feeding a lot of ewes out there at the time as well. And I was pretty ruthless on them. One day they were getting fed pellets and then the next day they were just getting straw, you know, and it worked. And we got some quite good conception rates by doing that. We had them confined in a pen and they got sort of 1.2 kilos. I remember 1.2 kilos of pellets we were giving them. That was on one day and the next day they were getting straw. And then they'd go back to another day, 1.2 kilos of pellets. And the next day they got some good canola hay. And, you know, I wound our ration costs right back down. I think for memory I had them, I think it was like $3.30. A week, I was sort of feeding these ewes and getting them back in lamb, you know, like it's, you can wind it down and some learning was done there. It was good. And it wasn't at the expense of fertility either. So just with giving them minerals and that as well, you know, along the way. So it really, probably a final point is just that you've really got to do your numbers, whether it's from trading or feeding or whatever. Yeah, without a doubt, do your numbers. Don't be afraid to get a slap across the wrist every now and then. Just bounce back and learn from your mistakes. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask people as well. Like that's what I've found out. Like 
get on the phone and my wife's always up me that I'm always on the phone or my phone's always ringing or something like that. She's sort of come to terms with it now and understands that it's always ringing and stuff like that. And it was a bit of a shock for her at the start, like, you know, people ringing all the time. And now she knows that obviously that telephone's probably a important part of the business too and you can make a lot of decisions off a couple of phone calls here and there and, and calling in a mate every now and then to give you some advice or someone that might have done it that you can learn something off mate thanks for your time today trent it's been a really good chat and thanks for being on the seeds for success podcast i think it's a great thing and people can really get something out of it and learn from other people's mistakes or errors or something like that thanks for having me it's been good enjoyed it thanks for listening This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.